Okay, we're in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. This has just been on my mind and my heart, and I've been working through this for weeks now, and uh, I I felt that it would be important to talk about it now, to look at it now, and to to do it. So we'll get back into Micah. We'll finish up Micah. Uh, Pastor Joe's preaching next week, which is awesome, because that guy preaches the gospel when he does announcements, and I love announcements because of Pastor Joe. He's got a stomach ache today, so he didn't have his usual vivaciousness. But I just love the fact that, I mean, how well served are you by your pastors when I'm sitting out there and Joe's up here just telling you about kids' ministry, unpacking the truth that Jesus Christ entered into history to save you from yourself. And today, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian. You're saved, loved, and known, and you're part of his church. And that's announcements. Thank you, Joe. I don't know if he's even in the room. His stomach hurts. So I don't, is he here? I, he's, oh, there he is. Thanks, Joe. I'm serious. I appreciate it. Okay, so Colossians chapter 2. Today we're talking about reality. We're talking about what it is to walk in reality. Uh, and, and ultimately that walking in Jesus equals walking in reality. Um, we live in a time and a place, uh, as Seattleites, we love authenticity. Now, if you were to define for me what authenticity is, I'm willing to wager that you wouldn't tell me what authenticity is, but you would tell me what authenticity isn't. That you would start with, well, that's fake and that's phony and I don't like this and I didn't like this. But when we try and wrap our minds around what's actually real, it's really elusive. Uh, It gets away from us pretty quickly. Um, It is the great, like, philosophical uh, question. It's how we get to, uh, I think, therefore I am. Descartes was trying to answer the question, well, I don't know what's real. And he's running around in circles in the cul-de-sac of his own head, trying to land the plane. Uh, As a kid, I remember just sitting outside, looking at the stars. You know, you're in middle school, so you have to stay in your parents' fenced backyard, and that's about as much freedom as you get at 10 p.m. on a Saturday night in the summertime. And you're sitting there with your friends, and you're thinking, oh, maybe we're the ones in the TV, and maybe aliens are watching us. And and you have all these silly, (laughs) random thoughts about what is real and what isn't real. And I think at the end of the day, so so many of us are actually looking for what is real. What actually is real? If you're here today and and you're not a Christian, we're going to talk about it. Because there's only one way to get to what's real, and his name is Jesus. There's no greater reality knowing that the God of the universe, who he is, what he's done. You can't actually know what's real if you don't know who he is and who you are. God is holy, right, just, and perfect. And he made everything not because he needed to make anything, but out of the outflow and overflow of his love. God made everything good. We broke it. Human beings broke it. We live in a broken world, and God promised and then did come to fix it. Jesus Christ entered into human history to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from Satan, from death, and to put things back the way they're supposed to be. That's reality. If you don't understand that part of reality, you won't understand anything. John Calvin in the Institutes of the Christian Religion said that that is reality. When you understand for a moment who God is and who you are, for a sense and for a moment, you get a taste of what's actually real. And apart from that, we don't know. We don't know. We need Jesus. We need to know who he is. We need to know who God is because we won't even know who we are if we don't know who made us. So we're going to dig into Colossians chapter 2 starting verse 6 and talk about what is real. Therefore, number one, Bible reading, hermeneutical, fancy pants trick. When you get to a therefore in your Bible, you need to ask yourself the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And I know I say it every time we get to a therefore, and the reason I do that is because I want you to be well-trained Bible people. You have a responsibility to the church you're a part of to be Bible people. 
It's not just my responsibility to be Bible people. It's your responsibility to be Bible people. You got to be able to tell each other the truth. You got to be able to speak the truth in love. You got to know that when I stand up here, if I'm saying something, that it doesn't say it right here, right? That's why I really, even if it's on the phone, I know I make fun of you a lot if you have your phone because you can't put a finger here and do this, and you're probably reading your Bible on the phone right now. It's fine, but have it open and look at what I'm saying. Am I saying what I'm saying just to say it, or what I, am I saying what I'm saying because it's here? And you have a responsibility. I mean, this is, off, this is off outline. If I'm saying something that's not here, come up and ask. What did you mean by that? Because maybe it is and you just didn't hear it, or maybe it wasn't. You have a job to do. You know your Bible. Okay, what's the therefore, therefore? We're here in Colossians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he didn't know, and there's something going on, and it seems like, and you read every little, com- you know, every little commentator has a different opinion of exactly what's happening, but what's probably happening is a combination, combination of what's called proto-Gnosticism, which if that's in your, uh, you know, down, row down on your crossword puzzle this week, now you'll know, proto-Gnosticism. It's the beginning of Middle Platonism, which is really normal old hyper-spirituality. Spirituality's good, body's bad. Okay? Does that sound like Seattle at all? It, it turns out Middle Platonism is alive and well in Seattle, and we tend to have a hyper-spiritual outlook, and what's really real is what's spiritual and not what's real and physical. Uh, what, what's really beyond it is the holographic universe. Anyone have the friend that read that or read that yourself? Okay, so maybe that's not your coffee shop, but you'll get there and you'll want to do evangelism with them someday. And you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, holographic universe. You'll have to, don't Wikipedia it. Just, it's everywhere. Hyper spirituality. Uh, That that sort of intellectual squinting that is uh, what's called the hermeneutic of suspicion. We get it from Marx and Nietzsche. Uh, This idea that there's always something beyond what's true. And everyone's always trying to get to that authentic thing that's beyond what's true. And the difference is in the gospel, it's not a secret. The Gnostics thought they had a secret knowledge. They knew more than everybody else. The the reality of the gospel is it's not a secret and God's not hiding it. The reality is that Jesus Christ, God himself, became a man to save you from yourself to life in him. That God has revealed himself, Hebrews chapter 1, chapter uh, verses 1 through 3, and many times, in many ways, God spoke, but in these last days, he has spoken through his son. I skipped some parts about prophets. Many times, in many ways, God spoke through the, through our fathers, through the, to our fathers through the prophets, but these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Everything God wanted to say to humanity, he said so in the person of Jesus. Not only that, but he's given us his word. We, we so, we're so quick to try and figure out what's actually happening in life and reality and how I'm even supposed to live without even cracking the Bible or talking to Jesus about it, right? What's it there for, there for? Oh, and by the way, they're also hyper-religious. They're into like weird, weird rules, weird probably dietary rules. Now, the hard part about Colossians is Paul's never been there, and so he's operating on what, he kind of, what he's getting from our man Epaphras, who's mentioned in the first and fourth chapters of the book, and Epaphras is probably a pastor or someone there, and he's somehow connected with Paul in this prison. It's all a little vague. And so Paul essentially is writing this letter to say, knock it off. You know what's real and you know what's true. And we'll start here in six. Therefore, we've got one word in. We'll keep going. Now, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Christ Jesus the Lord. Jesus is our proper name. The Lord and Christ. Christ is not his last name. You know that? It's not Jesus Christ. It, you know, then they flip it around because it's, it's alpha, alpha, alphabetical in the computer or whatever. Jesus Christ. Jesus 
is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Remember I said that God made everything good, we broke it, and he made a promise to fix it? He promised to send Messiah to come fix it. That Messiah is named Jesus. Jesus came to fix everything by the blood of his cross and the power of his resurrection. Jesus the Christ and Lord, the King of everything, King of kings, the Lord of lords. Therefore, as you received Christ, when did you receive Christ? Hear that? How inclined are you as a Christian to answer the question, so you're a Christian, yeah, but I'm not like a really, I'm not a good Christian. I need to try harder to be a better Christian. We have something in our hearts and in our minds that say, I need to try harder to be a better Christian. The reality is there may be things in your life you need to turn from. I'm not going to undermine your sin or the power of repentance. But what I'm saying is that if you belong to Jesus, it's not how much you try or how good you are, but how good God is in his sovereign grace and mercy. He loves you first. This is what 1 John tells us. He didn't love you because you're awesome. He didn't love you because you're a good ping pong player. He didn't love you because you're holy and you follow all the rules. He loved you because he's good and he's gracious and in his sovereign will chose to love you before the foundations of the earth and you didn't get to pick it. He picked you, not you picked him, which means you're free. You're free. Stop trying. Live. Now that doesn't mean we don't do anything. I think I ask this question all the time. So if Jesus paid it all, Jesus paid it all to him, I owe, right? If Jesus paid it all, then what do I do with the rest of my life? Well, if he did everything, well, should I just party then? Shouldn't I just go have some fun? Well, you're actually going to have fun if you actually follow Jesus. There's more to life than, than partying. There's more to life than wiling out. There's Jesus. There's joy everlasting in Christ. But the reality is, because you have received Christ, okay, so you don't become a Christian because you set your alarm for 5.30 in the morning and get up and read your Bible. You get up at 5.30 in the morning and read your Bible because Jesus has saved you from yourself. Jesus is God. He, he came to save you and he's spoken to you and you get up at 5.30 in the morning because you want to meet with God. That's why you get up at 5.30 in the morning. I want to meet with God. Do you want to meet with God? Open the word and start reading and have a meeting with God. Okay? So it's not how do you get to Jesus, and if you're not a Christian here today. The gospel is different than every other system. Every other system is this is what you have to do to get up to God. This is the path you take to get up that mountain. The gospel is that Jesus Christ comes down to get to you. The gospel is you can't get to God, so God came to get to you. The, the reality is that we're so blinded and messed up by our own sin that we need a Savior and a Redeemer to come get us out of our own junk, and that's the gospel. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to know that you can get saved and it's not about putting on your Sunday best and it's not about doing a Christian to-do list. It's about the reality that Jesus saves sinners from death to life, turn from your sin and turn to Him. Now if you are a Christian, hear what it says to you. As you've received Christ. As you have received Christ. You have Jesus. You have Jesus. As you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. Live in response to Him. Live in the reality of Him. Be awake to the, what the world actually is and how the universe actually works in Him. It's only available in Him. Now, then we get to the great question, how? That's nice. You know, is it like the Matrix or something? What do we do? What does that actually look like? I, I think we're so quick to undermine normal, mundane Christian living because when we actually understand it's not mundane because 
uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven people. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside you. You have a new heart. You have a relationship with the God of the universe. And you know him because of Jesus. And God has spoken to you through Jesus and saved you by Jesus and hears you through Jesus. You have a relationship with the God who made everything. You know where everything came from if you're a Christian, from God. You know the truth because he's told you. And all of a sudden, if we clue into that reality, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're being made holy, you're saved from yourself, it changes the way you change diapers. It changes the way you change your oil. It changes the way you change anything else in your life or any other thing you do. But listen to this. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. These are fun little words. Rooted. This is the same word you used to talk about, planting a garden or building a bridge. But particularly, it's important in looking at planting a garden. Because it doesn't just mean, um, you ever pour concrete? You dig a post, you stick a post in the ground. I've watched other people do it. You throw some concrete in, it's rooted, it's, it's solid, it's good. Now, this word rooted is more complicated than the one word that the ESV can convey. That's the Bible I'm in. The idea is is that it's not only rooted, but like a plant, its strength is coming from its rootedness. So our lives are grounded in the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf and what it means to be his people. But not only that, we get our strength from that truth. We get that strength from him. Okay? So it's not that Jesus saves you, gives you a rule book, and then you get to go figure out the rest of your life. It's that you're rooted in the reality of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he is doing. And we get our strength from that. I think I made fun of it last week. If you were a wrestler and you had the armband or the thing printed on your t-shirt that said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And you use that as your rally cry to go out and tackle the other football team and take them down. You're quoting Philippians and you're at a Christian school and they're at a Christian school and you fight each other and God strengthens one of you to defeat the other and you miss the total context of the verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I know how to be brought high and I know how to be brought low. I know how to have empty hands and full hands. I know how to have a full table and an empty table. I know how to do sorrow and I know how to do joy because I know who Jesus is. I know what he's done and I know who I am because of him. Because you've received Jesus. Coming back to that, right? You have received Jesus. You have everything in the universe because you have Christ. You have Jesus. Rooted and built up. Another way you could say it is built on It doesn't mean just to build. You can build your life. You can put things together. You can get a retirement plan and buy a house and get a couple minivans or whatever you want to do. You can build your portfolio and you've got some cool websites in there. And people look at them like, oh, he's the guy that builds cool websites. Great. And you can build all these things on nothing. Right? And we'll talk about that in just a second. He'll get really, really into it. But this word means built on. There's a place you're building. Do you know what you're building your life on? Are you building your life on uh, the rat race? Are you building your life on playing king of the mountain in the corporate ladder? Are you building your life on what Dr. Phil says? Are you building your life on people thinking your kids are awesome? Are you building on a, a life on thinking your, your professional portfolio is awesome? Are you building your life on people saying, man, his house is so cool? Are you building your life on, oh man, he's got goats in the city and they drink their milk and they don't even pasteurize it. Where is your righteousness coming from? What are you building your life on? What is important to you is knowing the God of the universe 
universe a priority in your life because if you're a Christian, you already have it and you have full access to the God of the universe and we just look right past it and get so distracted by just the fact that we have the internet on our telephones. What are you building your life on? What is the point of your life? What is it being built on? I just think life gets built. I want it to be built on Jesus. I want it to be built on the gospel. I want it to be built on God's word. Built up in him. Oh, hey, there's our location. In him. In the reality of Jesus. In who he is. The one we're rooted in and strengthened in. In him. Built up in him and established in the faith. Another word there that is really, really reasonable to put there is the word confirmed. Are you confirmed in the faith? This is what we do as a church, right? When we do a membership interview, when, we, when, we, when we're interviewing a member, we ask things like, well, how did you meet Jesus? And tell us what the gospel is. Or, you know, tell me about a time you shared the gospels. And what do you say to them? Because here's the deal. I can't confirm that you're a Christian because your life has no sin. But I can confirm that you're a Christian to the best of my human ability when I see a pattern in your life that's leaning on Jesus, moving in Jesus, repenting of sin, preaching the gospel. I can't do the heart test because I'm not the heart police. Roman tells us, confess with your lips and believe with your heart. Well, I, I, can't, I don't have a detector for that thing, right? I don't have an x-ray machine that does that. But, but what I want to do and what you want to do if you're doing a membership interview for somebody in our church, we're looking for a credible testimony. We're looking to say, yeah, that is a Christian person. And how do you find out that someone is a Christian person? That's difficult, right? How do you actually know that? Well, I'm a human being, so I only know what I know, but I see it in your life. Well, what kind of life can confirm that you're a Christian? That you're rooted in and built on Jesus? It's been said of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, when you cut him, he'd bleed Bible, and he said he wanted that of his people, I believe. Could be a misquote. Does Christian stuff come out? A, for sure, Charles Haddon Spurgeon quote. He said this about Jesus on the cross, right? That he was like an herb in a mortar and pestle. Because Jesus has seven things on the cross. And on the cross, he says things like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Uh, he says things to the, the thief on the cross who can't get down and, and put on his Sunday best and put his life together. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Forgive them. They know not what they do on the cross. For real, Jesus? When he was beat up, what came out of him was divine. When you're down, not when you're good, not when all the bills are paid and the oil's working and, you know, there's no termites in your house. When the termite's there and you don't have the money to pay the bills and everything's going south, what comes out of your life? What comes out of you? Is it gospel? Is it bitterness? Is it nastiness? What happens? What happens when things go south? Now, I'm not saying that if you respond poorly, that you're not a Christian. I'm saying you need the church, the people of God, somebody. I'm not saying the church me. I'm saying the church you to remind you what's true. Yeah, my bills aren't paid. I don't feel love. Well, you're more loved than you could possibly imagine because Jesus Christ entered into human history and paid the price for all your sins and made you right with God. Oh, yeah, thanks. Woo! Feels like it's all falling apart. It feels like I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, that's good because you don't, but God does. He's sovereign king and ruler of everything. Works out all things for good for those who love him. Do you know that? You might be, have the, last night might have been the worst night of your life. 
You might be in the worst spot in your entire life. If you love Jesus and you're in the middle of your muck, the truth is that God is at work. He works out all things for good. And I'm not saying you're right if you've messed up, right? If you're in sin, I'm not saying that that was God's idea. I'm saying that God is in the business of, through Jesus, taking broken, messed up, and messy things and using them for his glory as he redeems and fixes them. He's good at taking the darkest moments in our life and moving for his glory because he's God. And if you don't believe me, go home and read Romans 8. Built up and confirmed. Established. What? Where? Again, I don't have the heart detector. I have in the faith. What faith? The faith in Jesus. The faith in God who became a man. Fully God, fully human. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This word abounding, this idea of abounding in thanksgiving. This isn't just like once a year we get together on the third Thursday, fourth Thursday. Third? Fourth. On Thursday in November, we get together and we do a thing where we sit around. This is what I'm thankful for this year. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I really love and I'm thankful for that. But what we're talking about here is a pattern of life that has a joyful abundance. Are you, do your friends, do your non-Christian friends think of you as that guy that is overflowing with joy and thankfulness even when he finds a termite in his foundation? Even when he forgets to change the oil and his engine seizes up, even when these other things happen? Are you known for your thankfulness? Because when you know who God is, what do you know? You know every good gift comes from God. You know that we have a roof on our heads right now, and it's hot outside, and it's not as hot in here. I started hot this morning, so I'm thinking about the hot a great deal. But it's not hot in here, thank you, Jesus. There's food on my table this morning. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't have to walk to church this morning. Thank you, Jesus. I got y'all. Thank you, Jesus. We have each other. Thank you, Jesus. I have a wonderful wife. Thank you, Jesus. I have amazing kids. Thank you, Jesus. I got friends who love the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I got people who need to hear about Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I understand those all come from him. Everything about my life. I got water that I can drink, right? I'm in a place where I have water I can drink, and I'm not concerned that my kids are going to get sick. And that's a gift. Thank you, Jesus. And I can point to all these things and see God at work. I got breath in my lungs. And more importantly than anything else, me as a total degenerate, hyper-spiritual pagan got saved against all odds because Jesus is in the business of saving people who don't deserve to be saved, right? Right? Good morning. Is it hot in here? Just as you were taught. There's, there's a knowledge piece in this reality part. This stuff actually matters. Knowing your Bible actually matters. Knowing things about Jesus actually matters. We commit to our lives research about so many things. So many things, especially in the internet days. Man, I could tell you all about pygmy goats. And about half of you could tell me about them too, because we're in Seattle and we think we're farmers. I don't understand it. We just put one foot in front of the other. Can you tell me about this? Can you tell me about him? And I'm not talking about going to seminary. I'm talking about Jesus loves me this, I know, before the Bible tells me so. 
when you give me a solution to my problem, is your first inclination to tell me the truth from the word or just tell me what you heard Dr. Phil say? We love research. We love knowledge. We love to learn stuff. We are in a learning time and culture. I'm telling you, let's learn about Jesus. Learn about other stuff, too. I'm a nerd. I love, every, I love learning about all kinds of stuff. But, man, learn the word. Okay. See to it. Watch out. Here's our warning. See to it that no one takes you captive, led by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Uh, Interestingly enough, remember I said they're doing weird religious stuff? Here's a nerd moment for you. This word, to be led captive, means to be led captive, could be kidnapped. This is the first time anywhere this word appears, and Paul invents it. And it happens to rhyme with the word synagogue. Somebody pointed out that they think he actually invented the word to make a pun to point out how silly their uh, religious drive was. Their, their drive to have the good religious report card. He puts a word together to make a pun on the word synagogue, and there it is. But to be led captive, because there's another word for led captive. To be kidnapped, to be taken away. He's warning you, don't let any one of you, second person plural, the word y'all second person plural, or you all, you all does not flow. See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. Because how quick are we to get taken away from what actually counts and what's actually real? Gives a list. Now, the trick here is this isn't really meant to be a list. This is a, this is a sum total idea. They all go in one bucket together. See to it that no one takes you captive by, so the means of that, philosophy. Only time the word philosophy appears in the Bible. After, uh, after the New Testament period, all these Greek dudes who love philosophy love the word and start using it really positively. But this reference is obviously negative, and every reference in every Talmud, Midrash, and every other Jewish source uses the word philosophy negatively, and they always juxtapose the idea of the philosopher against the truth of God, and they always use it in a story where they tell a story, and it goes around this Talmudic, like it's like a commentary, and it comes around to say, oh, and look how God's wisdom is better than worldly wisdom. I think that's what Paul's writing out of. He's writing out of this idea that when we say philosophy, and here he means negative, it can mean like not just some knowledge or the love of knowledge, which the word kind of breaks down to, but it means like a system, a way of thinking. And you and I are bombarded by ways of thinking that are contrary to God's word every day. Every day. All the time. All the time. On so many levels. I mean, just the fact that in a corporate structure, it gets survival of the fittest. Uh, in, in, our, in our world, we have this sort of rat race. i got to have the bigger house, the nicer car, whatever the thing is. Somehow I have to have better than you. Or I have to have as good as my parents had or have right now as they're retired and older uh, versus what I have now as a person where I'm at in life. I should have what they have. I deserve what they have. There's a whole system built in, in my mind, of my own selfishness and self-entitlement that says, I deserve fill in the blank. I would say even our world, often it's, and it's the survival of the fittest. And I'll do whatever I have to do to get there. I'll be a nice person. I'll smile. I do what I'll have to do. But I won't do it in a Christian way. This is everywhere. The world's built that way. 
And how much light happens when you're in that kind of structure and you don't do it the world's way. Love of knowledge, philosophy, an empty deceit or illusion. Do not be tricked by the things that aren't actually real. Do not be tricked by the things that aren't actually important. Paul urges Timothy, be content with the clothes on your back and the food on the table. Just the, just the love of money. It doesn't say, so there's, talking about misquoted Bible, uh, God helps those who help themselves, Benjamin Franklin, not the Bible. Um, Money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not the Bible either. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Just the desire for you to be rich is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, does that mean if you have money, you're evil? No. Does it mean if you're rich, you're evil? No. But that love of money, when money becomes God, when the acquisition of wealth or things becomes the priority in your life, to live with that priority will have damage on other people. Does that make sense? Tracking with me there? Empty deceit. Because it's empty. It's hollow. You have money for a reason. (laughs) To love people. To serve God. To worship God. Use it. But don't love it. According to human tradition, this means the things passed down. Well, so-and-so told me it was okay. My dad did it. My mom did it. That's how my family's always done it. That's just how the system works. Human tradition. Custom. According to the elemental spirit. So the ways of humans and the ways of Satan. Elemental spirits of the world. Not according to Christ, which he goes into later in the chapter. So you can look at it when you get home. Don't be led away by the things that will not satisfy, that will not draw you to God, that will, will not draw you closer to him. This is me ripping off Jonathan Edwards. So there's a tendency in Christians that we try and find the rules. This is what I can do and what I can't do. This is what's right and this is what's wrong. And our tendency then is to try and stay away from those, try and come as close to those things as possible. Oh, so I shouldn't look at that show, but I can look at this show. Oh, I, can, I can't go to that movie because it's rated this, but this movie's rated that. Or, or whatever it might be. And our tendency is to try and fly as close to the sin as possible rather than saying, how am I going to live my life as close to Jesus as possible? Ever hear the story of Icarus? His papa says, don't fly too close to the sun because somehow they make wings and can fly and get out of jail. There's an Iron Maiden song about it, but you probably shouldn't listen to it. Talking about flying close, right? Sun flies too close to the sun wings melt, he falls. We have a tendency to try and fly close to our sin. We have a tendency to say, well, I didn't use that word, I used this word. Well, you know, I know that would be wrong, and this is kind of like that, but it's not quite that. The question is, is this drawing me closer to or further from Jesus? Am I being led away? It's being led away, right? It's, it's, you wake up one day. It's not that you wake up one day way over here and I fell into the darkness. That was uh, theatrical uh, mood lighting. Uh, you wake up, you got yourself there by flying too close to your sin. 
That's how you got yourself there, rather than making your aim to stay as close to Jesus as possible. Just like repentance isn't just, I'm a Christian, so I'm not supposed to sin, so I should stop sinning. Repentance is, this sin is keeping me away from Jesus and holiness and godliness and joy. And so I want nothing to do with it. I want Jesus and holiness and godliness and joy. It's not just because the Bible said so, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, the Bible is a very good indicator for the things that will end up killing you spiritually or otherwise. However, the reason that I don't do things is because being a Christian is not not sinning. Being a Christian is loving Jesus and walking in the reality of him. And so I repent of the things that take me out of reality, the things that leave me away captive. For in him, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Why don't I want to be led away captive? Because I got Jesus. God himself, I mean, this, if, if, you, if you find yourself as I do from time to time, visited by Jehovah's Witness, this is a great verse. The whole fullness of deity. Jesus is fully God. Now we miss it sometimes. We drop off. We don't forget the other part. Dwell bodily. God himself took on flesh. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. God takes his divine, actionized life in my place. He lives the life I couldn't live. My sins against God are infinite because God is infinite glor- infinitely glorious and infinitely wonderful and infinitely beautiful and infinitely every other awesome thing ever. And so when I poke that particular bear, I'm poking a bear at an infinite offense. And so infinite God had to come and pay the price for my infinite sin. He drinks the cup, really drinks the cup, really was a man, really drinks the cup so I don't have to. But not just that. Talking about walking in Christ. He had to be made like his brothers in every way but knew no sin. He can relate to you. He was made like you in every way but knew no sin. I always come back to this reality because our lives can feel very lonely. And you can feel like nobody knows what it's like to be you. And I'm going to have to correct you if you're a Christian and bring you back to reality and tell you that I might not know. And I'm not going to pretend to know what it's like to be you. But Jesus Christ, God himself, entered into human history and knows what it's like so he can relate to you. You have access to God who came as a man and took on flesh and can relate to you as your high priest. This is all Hebrews. I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. This is just Hebrews. Fully human, fully God. Verse 9, For in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, filled up, dwells, dwells bodily. Now this is where we're supposed to get our minds blown. Verse 10, And you've been filled in him. Church, This is not an abstraction, walking in Christ. Somehow we actually share in some kind of 
relationship with him. Somehow we have this, this life because we're filled in him. You and I get Jesus. The reason we can walk in Jesus is because we get Jesus. It's not an abstraction. It's not a set of principles. It's not uh, uh, an instruction manual or a rule book. Yeah, there are rules in here. There are do not do this, do this, don't do this. They're all in love. They're all based in this reality. In him the fullness, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who's him, Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. So you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who's the, the King of everything. Talk about a reality check. When you look outside the window, when you flip on the TV and watch the news, it does not look like Jesus is the king of everything, unless you guys watch a different news station than I watch. I don't have a TV. I don't watch it. I read it on my telephone. Jesus is the king of everything, and he's putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. He's, he's moving in the minutiae, and we, we learn to trust him and walk in that reality that even when it doesn't look like God is king, he still is. And he proves it again and again. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I think when we look at this, we need to see that our life in Christ is not an abstraction that the God we worship is so worthy of worship and praise. Philippians tells us he set aside his divine rights and entered into human history. Not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Taking on the form of a sermon, servant. And it's not just that he did it because he was lonely and he didn't do it because you're awesome. He did it to save you for his glory and for our joy. He did it to make much of his name and for his namesake came and saved people like you and me. But he doesn't just, I mean, hear it, right? If we only land at, I'm a messed up sinner, and Jesus paid the price for my sins, but we don't get the whole package that we miss, and I say it again and again, but I want you to get it just tattooed on your brain. John 3.16, Luke 3.16 is as important as John 3.16. That he came to baptize in the Holy Spirit. He came to give us life. He came to give you life and in fullness and in abundance and you've been filled in him. That the gospel of Jesus pays the price for your sins, saves you from yourself, but saves you to a life as the children of God, as the church of God, knowing, loving, enjoying, making much of Jesus in every circumstance, awaiting his return and his restoration of all things. In the gospel, you're not just forgiven, you're made whole. In the gospel, you don't just have to die, you get to live. In the gospel, you don't just have to stop enjoying nasty stuff, but you start enjoying God who's more enjoyable than anything and you get to do it forever and this is the gospel. In Him is the fullness of deity. He's fully God, fully human. And fully God, fully human, Jesus came to give you life and life in abundance. This means that Jesus is worthy of all affection and praise. And when I don't believe this, I chase after the philosophy. I chase after the empty deceit. I chase after human tradition. I chase after elemental spirits because I feel empty and I don't understand that my wholeness can actually come from God. 
If I just had, if I just had a little more money, if I just had a nicer car, if I just had a bigger car, if I just had a bigger house, if I just had a nicer job, if I just had some greener grass. Turns out if I just had some greener grass, I'd mess that grass up too because the grass on the other side gets messed up by me because I messed up the grass on the other side of the fence. Is it a fence? Grass is always greener. I messed up my grass. I want somebody else's grass. Right? Turns out there's a lowest common denominator in my life and it's me. And I need to be saved. Jesus has saved, is saving, and will save his people. All three tenses appear in the New Testament. So I don't believe it. I chase after other stuff. But because of Jesus and because he is reality, because I have him, I already have him. I have a life to live, overflowing with that joy, overflowing the reality of who he is. And we as the people of God, this means that we as the people of God need to protect our Christian witness. We need to protect the truth. We don't let other stuff get in on the gospel that we are to protect and proclaim. We don't let the world get in and inform us how the structure of our church is to run. We don't let the world get in on us and tell us how we're supposed to do our jobs, relationships, parenting, friendships, or any other thing. We continuously come back to the gospel and are informed by the reality of the gospel in every detail in our life. And that is a constant process, friends. That is a constant process of having our lives informed by the reality of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, this means today's the day. You're chasing after empty stuff. Keeps coming up empty, keeps coming up hollow. Turns out nothing's real. Maybe all you're looking for is what is real, what's actually real. I know it's real. Jesus is real. The gospel is real. That God comes to save people like you and me from ourselves to life in Him. It's real joy. It's real glory. It's real happiness in Him. Everything else is fleeting. If you don't know Him, today is the day. Turn from yourself and turn to Him. Turn from your sin turn to Him. Turn from your religion, the things you do to try and make God happy. Turn from your wiling out, the things you try and do to make you happy. They don't. Today's the day. He loves us before we love him. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. You are good. You are gracious. You are holy. You are right. You are perfect. May we never get bored with the reality of who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, what you will do. May we never get bored with the gospel. You're holy. We're not. You've saved us to life. May we never get tired of the truth of your word. Help us to just be people who love your word. I pray for us. We'd be people, if you cut us, we believe Bible. How do I deal with the problem? I come to the truth. I come for some fresh air. I come, from a real, I come from a reality. And I just pray for us as a church that we'd be a people who love each other in such a way that when I got a problem, the way it gets solved is not by some Dr. Phil answer, but by the truth of your scripture and by the power of your Holy Spirit, Christians telling the truth to other Christians. God, help us to believe and trust and know and to not be deceived by these things that carry us away from you. Help us, Jesus. We need you and pray these things in your name for your glory. Jesus Christ, amen.